Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. We are back from a brief hiatus for the first episode of the AJ Bruno Show of the year. Uh, we have a spectacular guest today. I'm going to be joined by William Sadler, who has appeared in a large amount of successful movies and TV shows. Um, just to name a few, you've seen him in Die Hard 2, uh, The Shawshank Redemption, uh, Bill and Ted Bogus Journey. He had a huge role on Roswell, the TV show, uh, Hawaii Five-0, a really memorable arc on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So we're going to get into those and others as well. And so there should be quite a bit to dive into. And uh, this is just the first of a nice lineup that we'll have moving forward. So we definitely look forward to that. And if you haven't done so yet, uh, please do follow us online at Twitter, at Reagan Worldwide, at Reagan Worldwide. You can check that out and hear about this show and any others that might come up as long as get information on really any interesting thoughts that might be might be going up. So we'll be bringing them on in just a second, and we will get uh, right into it. So it should be should be a good program. Um, soon we have a rescheduled show as well uh, that should be coming on in the near future. So be sure to look out for that. And uh, without further ado, let's get him on the program. Hello, Bill. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, how are you? Is this AJ? I'm fine. How are you doing? Yes, it is. I'm good. I'm good. Great. I'm good. Great. Great to be here. So, yeah, great to have you. So would you start by telling us uh, what inspired you to pursue acting, and in particular, primarily theater, for the first stretch of your career? I think when I was a kid, I, I was trying to get on stage some way or other. I was in a rock and roll band, a garage band in the 60s, and um, back in Buffalo. Um, I spent my entire childhood running around in a in a barn on my our family farm in Orchard Park, putting on shows for the neighbors and what have you. I guess I was uh, I guess I was always trying to get on stage. I auditioned. I used to do a stand-up comedy act, played the banjo and told jokes. And then uh, finally in high school, I had a, I had an English teacher named Dan Larkin who said, uh, why don't you try out for the high school play? And hmm. uh, they were doing, it was my senior year, and they, they were doing Harvey, and I got the role with Elwood, the lead. And uh, it was funny, and it was sweet, and it was, the writing was wonderful. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with it. Um, started doing plays, went off and studied it at undergraduate at Geneseo, and then got a scholarship to act, to study acting and get an MFA at Cornell. And I was, I never looked back. I was, I've been doing it ever since. Theater is just where it started. And I did that for like the first 11 years. Sure. So how did you make that transition from theater uh, to film and TV, and which of your earlier roles do you think most helped to firmly establish it? Um, which of my earlier roles in in film and TV? Yes. Um, well, I, I've, I've, 
I, find, I moved to New York and I was doing theater. I was doing off-off-Broadway and off-Broadway and regional theater and the Long Wharf and Trinity Square and just... I finally ended up with a year, about a year and a half on Broadway in the original cast of Biloxi Blues as the crazy southern drill sergeant, uh, Merwin Toomey, and with Matthew Broderick. And Matthew went off to do, um, what, what was it? The, he did War Games first, and then he did a movie... Then he came back and did the Broadway show that I was in. And uh, when, then he went off to do Project X. And the, they cast me. I got asked to play villain, the, the evil scientist in Project X, the film where we, we radiated chimps. We taught them to fly flight simulators and then radiated them until they, to measure how how far they could fly before they died, um, which was all based on a true story. But that was the movie that got us, took me out to L.A. That was the very first um, real film job. Um, and came, finished the film, came, came back to um, New York, and then I was almost immediately cast in a... Um, a TV show called Private Eye um, that shot on the West Coast and dragged my family back out there. We, you know, rented a house and bought bought a couple of used cars, and all of a sudden we're living in Marina Del Rey. Um, hmm. And that's what that I mean. That's how uh, I made the transition from theater into movies and television all of a sudden I was in LA with a family and um, there's no theater or very little theater um, in LA it's all about the movies it's all about TV um, and I had and then I started doing the LA hustle you know auditioning for mm. everything in sight sure so uh, one of the roles that film that people probably know you from most, uh, you know, a bit earlier on. In 1990, uh, you held an airport hostage and went head-to-head with Bruce Willis in Die Hard 2. Uh, what was it like to play the antagonist of such a memorable film? <laughs> it's a little bit overwhelming because the, the summer before, he had released um, the first Die Hard movie, and it was, you know, that was a pretty massive hit. I think his first real, you know, giant summer blockbuster, it put Bruce Willis um, on the map as an action hero. Um, and I, so there was, a, there was a bit of, with sequels, there are, there's always a bit of pressure like that, you know, is it going to be as good? Is it going to measure up? And I know the director, Rennie Harlan, um, well, we were all sort of, uh, you know, trying to um, make it even better than the first one. You know, if that were if that were possible, mm-hmm. uh, you know, more dangerous, you know, bigger explosions, bigger, you know, faster action, and uh, um, because it's easy for sequels to 
you know, you don't want to spend the rest of your life hearing, yeah, it was good, but, you know, it was, you know, it's not as good as the first one. (laughs) 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 You know, you know, you know, it's going to be measured against that. So, and plus, you know, there was, um, they, uh, they need, there was a, there was no nude scene in it when I took the, the job. It was, the scene was supposed to be a man in a hotel room doing Tai Chi. <clears throat> so I found out about that at the costume fitting when there wasn't any costume for that scene. And I, <laughs> and, and Rennie Harlan and the costumer were standing there and I said, what, what am I wearing in the, in the hotel scene in the beginning when he's doing Tai Chi? And mm. Rennie Harlan said, well, Bill, actually... I thought you would be nude. <laughs> and there was a wow. long pause. <laughs> there was a long pause, and I, I thought about it for a minute, and, and then I, I said, you push that scene off to the end of the movie, and get me a trainer and get me in the gym, and uh, we can do it. So we did. So I, I mean. That the movie sort of ran on two tracks for me. There was the filming that we were doing all the time, and then there was this constant working out to beef up and get ripped and try to look, you know, try to look like a mean mother uh, for the nude scene that I knew was coming. <laughs> I knew it was coming down, coming down the road, <laughs> um, and. You know, it worked out okay. I wasn't, I wasn't that bad out of shape, but, but again, when you when you you know it's going to be advertised as this giant summer blockbuster action movie, it's the whole world is going to be looking at your, you know, your royal flabbiness. Uh, you want it to look good. It's very. Oh, uh, I can imagine. <laughs> But overall, I go back and forth with those two movies because I mean Alan Rickman obviously is a great villain, but you're right up there with him. I think they're yeah they're both fantastic. So. I well that's exact that's that's the kind of pressure that you feel though. You watch Alan Rickman and go, holy Toledo, he's brilliant. You know, he's funny. He's terrifying. He's you know, um, you know, fill those shoes. Um, on a on a international stage, so I hope he did good. It's I'm glad to see that it's become a Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's strange. It's a one of the movie one of the great movie. ironies. It's one of the great ironies yeah. about living in America. It's only in America could the could the diehard movies become, you know, must see Christmas specials. Oh, that's true. So uh, the next year, uh, you literally played death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Uh, how was portraying such a uniquely bizarre character? <laughs> um, I I had actually there was I did a comedy a sketch comedy show. Um, I guess I forgot about that. I I did that I did the sketch comedy show. Um, called Assaulted Nuts that 
took me it didn't go very far right? there were only you know a dozen episodes or something but one of the episodes had me playing death mm-hmm. and i came up with this accent this czechoslovakian accent and i played death in this funny sketch comedy thing so when the audition came along for bill and ted another sequel um to a really funny successful movie um I I used the same Czechoslovakian accent that I had that I had used to play death once before in this tiny sketch, um, and I actually I put myself on tape with at Orion Pictures. They you went in and auditioned for them and they put you on tape, and then they kept looking because they were looking for I think they saw they saw Christopher Lloyd and Christopher Lee. Um, they didn't know who was supposed, you know, death is supposed to be this ancient, scary figure. Um, but, but the, <laughs> they, kept, they kept coming back to me because, because what I was doing was so silly. It was, it was just funny. Um, and with that, with the silly Czechoslovakian accent, um, and I got it was funny, I got a call about three weeks after I'd done, put done the audition, I got a call from Karen Ray, who's the casting director on it, and she said, Bill, listen, you have to go into uh go go to a Halloween store and get some gray and put it in your hair and black out your teeth or do something, you have to look old. They think you're too young. And I need you to come in and do do the audition again, but look old, because they think you're funny, and it's you know it's they they really like the performance, but it's but you look too young and cute, so. <laughs> and I, I thought, I thought, well, that's gonna suck, because you know that's just gonna look awful, if I you know get put gray in my hair from a Halloween store, and so I called the makeup man from Die Hard Two. Um, Scott Edo, and told him my problem, and he said, "Well, I'm in town. Why don't you come over to my my house um, in Venice, and I'll do an age makeup on you, and then you can go to the audition." And that's what I did. I was I forget how how old I was, but he made me look about seventy. I mean, like a believable, you know, an actual believable camera ready 70 and uh, I got in the car and drove to Orion and put myself you know and did the audition again did the same Jekyllslowakian accent everything was the same Um, except I looked old and this the producers that had had a problem with how young I was turned to Karen Ray she told me later she said he turned to me and said you know, he looks so much older in person. Sure. Anyway, I got the job. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, and it, yeah, was like, and it was good. It was, it was truly fun. It was. I love doing comedy. Uh, no, I think people don't realize how funny you can be in certain roles because some of them, I guess, are more on the serious side. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind yeah. of been the. It's kind of been the nature of my career. 
they because, mm-hmm. because pe- you know people in the business they see you do something and they think holy crap he's he's really scary or he's you know he's he's so intense and edgy he'd be perfect mm-hmm. for this film and they it's an easy fit i have this evil general in this show you know he'd be great for that um and you don't have mm-hmm. to convince anybody because you know there it is it's out there in die hard to or hard to kill or you know mm-hmm. you know once you've established just that you can do a thing like that so yeah i, want, I kept wanting i kept wanting to comedy was um, comedy has always been like this forbidden pleasure you know mm-hmm. I, mean, I love it when i get a chance to do it that makes sense so, uh, not exactly comedy, but uh, you've said that The Shawshank Redemption is the movie you're most proud of. Uh, what was it about being a part of that cast which moved you so much? Um, first, first of all, I don't think, I don't think um, any of us in the cast knew that it was going to be as interesting a movie or as good a movie as it could turned out to be um, Frank Darabont says we we just caught lightning in a bottle you know mm-hmm. there was a there were there were so many <laughs> there were so many things that had to go right along the way to make that movie what it was um, for instance they for a while Tom Cruise was doing uh, table reads at um at Castle Rock, he was interested in playing the role of Andy, and it would have been, a, you know, a Tom Cruise project. Uh, but he didn't apparently didn't. Frank told me he didn't want to work with Frank because Frank hadn't directed a movie before that. Um, he he wasn't sure he could trust Frank, and Frank didn't really want Tom Cruise to play the role. He he didn't want it to be a movie movie star. He wanted it to sort of be this an ensemble, the ensemble piece that it was. Um, um, but I think that maybe the reason that um, I guess I've, I'm I'm proud of the work I'm proud of the work that everybody did. Um, I love the I love the character that that I came up with anyway. And again, I'm. I one of the things that made him that character successful in the film to help that helped the film was that he was funny. You know, I I, I made Haywood. He's not written as as a humorous inmate. He's um. I sort of gave him a little stutter to kind of mm-hmm. take take the edge off of him. So he's he's not so frightening, and and I made him um, not too bright, you know, like the less bright, <laughs> the, the the dumber I the dumber I made him, the more the the sillier the funnier he became. So he kind of, he kind of becomes the comic relief in a way. Um, mm-hmm. Um, with the you know finding the horse ball in the field and not realizing that you know 
it's not a stone and um, and always being one step behind uh, every conversation I always as an actor I always sort of feel like I have this dial uh, I can dial the character's IQ up or down and when you're playing somebody like Colonel Stewart you dial it up you know he knows he he he's playing chess with everybody at once, um, and he can see everything that's going on around him. He's two steps ahead of everybody. Or you can dial it down and play a character who only sees what's right in front of his nose um, and is always surprised by the next event. <laughs> and that's what... <laughs> and the, and that's where I played Haywood. Um, it was it was a it was a choice. I mean, the script suggested that he be, that he was not too bright, but um, I just had I just had fun with him being not that bright. You know. Sure. No, that makes sense. Anyway, anyways, I and I was also. <laughs> thrilled when you know we finished the movie and people said it actually didn't do it it didn't do anything in the movie theaters it did something like 18 million dollars in the movie theaters before it was only out for a few weeks before they yanked it um and everybody thought well that's it it you know it was a big expensive flop um and then it was nominated for I think six Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and they put it back in the theaters um, because of that. It got another burst of of exposure later on, and not so much by audience. Yeah. And then, and then shortly after that, it was everybody on the planet got a a VCR, <laughs> and they rented it. It, it was a it was an enormous rental hit, um, and Turner Broadcasting, you know, Ted Turner put it on his channel, you know, five times a week, and it's uh, I don't know it found it found its way into the American consciousness, and mm-hmm. it's uh, one of the things that I'm proudest of is that you know. All these years later, it's still at like the number one on the IMDb top hundred movies, and it's, it's there was another there was another thing that came out that said it was the best movie in the last thirty years, and so on. People seem people seem to it has legs, is what I'm saying. It's it a lot of movies a couple of years after they come out just start to look old and. They don't work anymore, and that one just seems to keep touching people. You know, has the makings of a classic. I guess that's what I'm saying. TV work. Um, there's obviously been a lot of episodes of Star Trek over the years, but your character uh-huh. of Sloane in Deep Space Nine had one of the more memorable multi-episode arcs. Uh, what did you think about playing this complex, morally gray character in such an intense franchise and becoming part of that universe? Well, first, 
wonderful. I was I was I was delighted. I was thrilled when they asked me to mm-hmm. to participate in because I'd grown, you know I'd watched Star Trek in its various forms for years. I'd been a fan. I'd never um, and I'd never been a part of it. When they asked me to play Sloane, uh, I thought it was great because he was he's sort of this Ollie North character, you know, Oliver North. He's a um, this shadow government, the Section 31 that he's the director of. Um, I thought it was a I thought it was a terrific political statement, you know, that, that the Federation, <laughs> the Federation <laughs> didn't even know that this was a part of their organization, you know, this this group that worked behind the scenes to affect history and the affect the outcome of civil wars and so on. Um, I thought it was a I thought it was a great uh, I thought it was a great thing to introduce into the Star Trek world. Um, you know where everybody is everybody's goody goody all of you know everybody's following the prime directive and uh, always doing making the right choices for the right reasons. And here comes this guy who said comes along and says, "Well, you didn't think you won that war by yourself, did you?" You know, <laughs> you know, we gave we gave that planet this illness and wiped them out. Um, you know, we do no, we do the dirty work. We do what needs to be done. Um, it's an ugly world out there, and I just thought that's, you know, those those people exist in this in our country and around the world. Um, um, I thought that was a. I thought it was a great color to introduce into the Federation. You know, make make people argue that moral question. Do the ends do the ends no. always justify the means? Yeah, that's for sure, and that's one of the things people liked about that series in particular. It asked some of those darker, more yeah. ambiguous questions, like yeah. right. And you could do it. You could do it in space a hundred years from now, and it's mm-hmm. not so threatening. You know, you're not lecturing to us about our lives now, but you really are. Mm. Sure. But so you got to wear cool um, clothes. Cool clothes. <laughs> you did have a cool <laughs> uniform that I remember. <laughs> I did. I know it was sweet. Yeah. And I got to sit. You know, the the very first scene, the very the thing that caught my attention the most, I thought was the coolest, was that uh, uh, Doctor Bashir wakes up. My, the character gets introduced uh, this way. Dr. Bashir wakes up and there's a man sitting at the foot of his bed in his bedroom watching him. Honey, I've got the scene I remember the most. <laughs> you don't know how long he's been sitting there. You don't know how, you know, it's just the creepiest thing I've ever heard. And I thought, oh, what a, what a great, uh, what a memorable introduction for a character. He's got some splaining to do. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. So, uh, as a kid, I was a big fan of Roswell and always liked your character in that. Uh, what are your reflections on your years working on that show that you can tell us about? I I had a ball playing on, on Roswell. I really enjoyed I re- I had I had done a... Uh, I had done one other series, I think, at that point. I did that show, Private Eye, uh, 
um, which only lasted half a season. Roswell lasted for three years, and I found I just uh, I love the people. I like the crew. I like the you know the and I and I really enjoyed the the way um, they let the character grow over the and evolve over the course of the show. He starts mm-hmm. out in the first year. He starts out being he's the one who's trying to figure out who's you know what's going on and who are these kids and he's the big problem. He's the he's the big threat to Max and you know to the alien kids um, until the end of the first season when his son is killed and Max saves his son. And in the second season, he's he realizes who they are and that he has to protect them. He's the only one who can keep them all safe. And he starts this new career of keeping them safe. And by the end of the second season, he loses his job as sheriff because he's been keep trying to keep trying to protect them. Um, so his his role keeps changing. I. I found that I found that fun to do as an actor. You know, it was like every script was a different chapter in this guy's life. He's a girlfriend. It's, it's you know, there's a romance. There's um, there's always a new problem. It didn't get stale for me. I guess is what I'm is what I'm saying. Sure. And then in the third season, I directed the I directed an episode, the second to the last episode. Um, I I spent the whole third season getting ready to direct uh, direct my 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 first television directorial debut and uh, hmm. and that was fascinating. So the whole thing was the whole thing was a learning experience for me. Sure. Of course, there's a reboot of it coming out in a few days, which. I don't think it's going to live up to the original, though. I do think it would have been interesting if they asked you back to play the sheriff again, but you know, of course not. What platform is it going to come out on, do you know? <clears throat> uh, it's on the CW. I think it's on like two days or something, so pretty soon. Really? Yeah. They call, oh, it's, it's the new Roswell. Uh, it's all... Everyone's different, so it's going to be definitely different than the original right. one. So, no, yeah. I guess it would have to be. It, otherwise, the otherwise people would just spend their whole lives comparing the two. That's true. Well, I wish them luck. It's a fun. It's a it's a great premise. It's a great science fiction premise. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure. And it always felt like you know Romeo. It felt like Shakespearean. This this romance between Liz and Max who, mm. you know it can never it can never work they're from two different planets <laughs> and <laughs> they can love they can love each other but it can never work um, so it's uh, you know it had all the makings of a Shakespearean tragedy sure so uh, premises the project you were involved with that I think really was the most moving for me was 
the Pacific, uh, where you play the most decorated Marine in American history. Um, I thought that show was just phenomenal on a whole other level. What did it mean to you to be part of such an important project? I was, I was very proud to be uh, asked to do that. Um, my, it, it just happened. It worked out that way. My uncle, my uncle Jack, uh, Tom Thomas Jack Colley was his name. He was in the Marines at Guadalcanal. Um, he knew Chesty Puller. He was he was an intelligence officer with uh, under Admiral Nimitz. And um, my father fought in the Philippines in the army. He wasn't in the Marines, but he did. A, you know, he was wounded twice, and he. Seven assault landings. Um, ended up with a distinguished service cross for saving all of these men's lives when their ship was sunk by a kamikaze going between islands. Um, and when I got a chance to play, uh, to tell that story. Um, I felt a kind of a personal responsibility to get it right. Um, I mean, you always want to, you always want to get it right, but, but that particular war, that, that particular theater, I don't think the story's ever really been told accurately. Just how, mm. just how ugly it was, just how, how vicious and, uh, um, It was, I don't know, how do I describe this? I wanted, just for personal reasons, I wanted, I wanted the men who were still alive, who had been there, to what to see it and say, that's what it was like, you know, that's that's in fact what it felt like to be there. It was because there were all there were all these John Wayne movies and so on, you know, the Sands of Iwo Jima, and but they Hollywooded up they. You know they gloss it up, and the heroes are bigger than life. And the um, what I what I found amazing about telling that story was, I mean, the biggest discovery for me was that um, the it was it was really total. If when if there were ten thousand Japanese on the island, you were going to have none of them were going to surrender. You were going to have to kill every single one. Um, to take the island. Uh, it wasn't like in Germany and the Band of Brothers. Where you you know, if you surrounded a group of Germans and they had no way out, they'd put their guns down and put their hands up and surrender. That didn't happen on these islands. They, you know, it was just grisly. It was it was total. Um, nobody surrendered, um, and and you weren't going home until it was over. So, um, anyway, I felt a tremendous, uh, we all did, we felt a tremendous responsibility to get it right, tell that story right, you know, um, for the sake of the people that had lived it, you know. Um, yeah, and that's... Um... I, think, I think we did, in large part. 
I think the writing did that, and you know, I hope the acting did that. No, it definitely didn't. I agree with you on that. So I'm not uh, generally a huge police procedural watcher, but I do watch Y5O, and the that tend to be quite good. Uh, what's your experience on that show been like, mostly playing someone in the past and flashbacks, um, you know, besides for having possibly the best climate any show shoots in? <laughs> that was... Well, that was that was sort of a bizarre. Uh, it was an interesting role to play, um, mm. because the the character is killed in the pilot in the not just in the pilot but in the teaser of the pilot. Um, my character is <laughs> was shot in the head, and uh, <laughs> which which always sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I understand what I understand why they did it, and it was, you know, and it's and it's fine. And they brought, you know, they brought me back in flashbacks, or they brought me back as a ghost, and he would see me, you know. But what it what it what it did was it set up uh, McGarrett. Um, it it set him up as uh, as sort of for the whole first season. Who you know? They killed his father. He's got to find out who did it. He's got to you know. There has to be justice for this awful murder. Um, they you know they took this man who was so important to him. Um, so it it sort of that was the that was the fuel that the first season ran on, um, and it kind of you know it launched it launched him into his adventure, his, his journey, um, you know, to find some justice and find some peace and so on. Um, and to get to know this and the secrets that he finds out about his dad along the way. It was, it was fun to play. It was a little, you know, sort of a little, um, it was strange cause I would get this, I would get a call and, you know, I didn't do an awful lot of those episodes, but, but they were always, you know, they were always interesting. You sort of drop into his world as a ghost or a flashback or something, and and then disappear. You know, mm-hmm. you're not speaking you know, of interesting. Didn't yeah. get to move to move to Hawaii or no. you know, <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't the same sort of thing. It's like I was saying about the episodic things. It's fun when you can. You know, every episode is another chapter in the character's life, um, mm-hmm. and it kind of keeps it interesting. Um, I would sort of drop in as needed to remind people of, you know, um, hey, anyways. But it was great fun to do. Um, sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I say, I hate I hate it when they kill me in the first moments of the <laughs> in the teaser of the pilot. I thought, wow, they got rid of me in a hurry. Yeah, that was rough. <laughs> that was rough. Yeah. Well done. Though. So <laughs> we're running a bit tight time wise. So I was wondering, is there something we didn't mention that? 
you were involved in that you're particularly fond of? And on the flip side, is there anything you wish you never took part in? I, I, I try to forget the ones that I, I don't, I don't have a lot of regrets. Uh, mm-hmm. Jobs that I've taken that I wish I hadn't. Anytime I get to do this craft, um, I, any day I get to act uh, is a good day. I just did it. It's coming out this, um, I think this spring. Um, there's, uh, I just did a, a mini series about with Ava DuVernay about Central Park Five, about mm-hmm. the young, young men in New York who were arrested and convicted of the rape and assault on this young woman in Central Park, and they were railroaded into prison um, until years and years later, DNA showed up, and they were all exonerated. But they were, you know, 15, 16-year-old kids at the time, and um, that's a fantastic story. That's a, that's a, that may end up being something that I'm the most proud of. I play one of the detectives, again, a hard ass. I play one of the detectives who helped to railroad them through to browbeat these youngsters until they made statements about each other. You get one to say that the other one was there, and then you get the other one to say that the first one was there. And Mm -hmm. neither one of them were actually there, but, you know... They were mm. interrogated without lawyers. They were held, uh, you know, it was, the city went nuts and went sure. out for revenge. Um, I mean, Donald Trump took out full-page ads in in four different newspapers calling for the death penalty <laughs> for these no. guys. And, uh yeah. <laughs> You know, um, didn't because, know that. because Donald Trump, you know, mm-hmm. and he still hasn't, he's never, they were exonerated. They were completely exonerated. They had nothing to do with it. And after all, 15 years, they let him out of prison. Um, he's never back. He's never corrected, you know, said, oh, well, I was wrong about that. You know, yeah. I don't mean to get political on you, but... Uh, um, I'm glad that we didn't have the death penalty at the time, frankly. Um, yeah, that's uh, anyway. That that'll be out. I, I don't know if it's going to call be called the Central Park Five. I think it's on Netflix. Should be out mm-hmm. in the spring. But it was a great experience. Ava DuVernay is just a force of nature, and uh, um, it's the second project I've done with her, and she's fantastic. So. Anyway, I yeah, keep trucking. Well, yeah, we'll keep an eye out for that. And uh, I know there's going to be a Bill and Ted sequel, apparently, so that should be interesting, too. Well, if they ever call me. If they call <laughs> No, they, they've contacted me. They've asked me, would you be interested yeah. in doing it? And I said, no freaking way. Yes, of course, <laughs> I'd be interested in doing it. Yeah, look forward to that. But um, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on again. Um, loved sure. hearing about your background, and it was fantastic. All right. Well, 
Well, you be well. Okay. Thanks. You too. All right. Sure. Bye-bye. Bye. That was William Sadler. Um, interesting hearing about a lot of the projects he was involved in. A few more we wanted to get to, but there's just so much to talk about. We couldn't fit it all in. Once again, this has been A.J. Bruno for the A.J. Bruno Show. And until next time, I'm signing off for now, and I'll see you then. Thanks.